There's never a dull moment when it comes to Minnesota sports. Rather, it's positive or negative. Minnesota Sports Chat has you covered. Talking nothing but Minnesota sports all year long. It's time now for the soon-to-be award-winning, if only in his own mind, Minnesota Sports Chat with your host, Ross Brendel. Hey, that's me. Welcome inside edition number 193 of Minnesota Sports Chat presented by Beans Coffee Company. Use the promo code SPORTSCHAT at coffeebybeans.com when you nab some of that great tasting coffee this holiday season. A reminder to please tell your family and friends about Minnesota Sports Chat. Rate and review kindly on Apple and Spotify. Please make sure you listen or watch the most recent version of this pod as well in this feed with Corbu Status from St. Thomas, the voice of St. Thomas football, men's basketball, Caught up on all things St. Thomas, their D1 transition. Some would make the case they are owning that transition. Also talked with Corbu about his time working at the University of Minnesota, doing some pre- and post-game stuff. He called some games as well. Even a little Formula One talk. Very fun conversation with one of the voices of St. Thomas Athletics, Mr. Corbu Status. That brings us to today. It is the Minnesota Golden Gophers review and preview edition because we are contractually obligated to do so after just another gut punch of a loss last Saturday at Huntington Bank Stadium. The Gophers fall late, very late, by a final score of 27 to 26. 26? How about 27 to 26 to Brett Bielema and the Illinois Fighting Illini? Paddock deep down the field. on that final drive, including the touchdown to Williams. John Paddock's the player of the game. Goes in motion. We check it. We should have been able to get a lot more depth at the at the boundary or the uh, and, and uh, the, the free safety's position. Um, should have had maybe a little bit of help from the other safety in that situation with the multiple verticals. And, uh, you know, maybe a little bit deeper at the linebacker position to start and even to carry that inside. Because you have it over the top, you have it on the inside, the number three vertical, and unfortunately had it underneath. We just didn't have the top on it. And uh, so that's what it comes down to, and that's making sure that we get that communicated um, from a coaching standpoint, period. Thanks to the Big Ten Network for that unfortunate highlight from the football game last Saturday. Thanks to gophersports.com for that audio from P.J. Fleck, his weekly presser. On Monday, when he met the assembled media, I'm going to guess, Daniel, I'm not sure. I didn't ask you, were you at this most recent press conference? Did you make it out? I was at Wednesdays this week going to coordinator. So I kind of go every other week because I got to travel a long distance. So I was not at Monday, but I was at Wednesday. So I actually want to give the coach credit. You know, our very own Patrick Royce loves to poke fun at him when he always says it's on me. I got to do a better job, but then I'll, I'll join Pat in this. The coach doesn't always tell you what he has to do better. Some of it seems like coach speak, but where I do want to give him credit this week was he did kind of let you in on the play of what went wrong there at the end, which he doesn't always do. And I think you can kind of hear it in that quote, Daniel, 
he was, I think, kind of fighting himself a little bit where he wanted to let people know what happened, but he was also trying to walk the fine line of not making his players look bad, which as a coach, as a college coach, Mm -hmm. and especially in this day and age, I don't think you can ever do because you can so freely lose players. And there is, even though Newbin was on the field, there is still a lot of young players on defense. They're going through this for the first time. So stuff happens. But, man, this has just been every year. We talked about this earlier, Daniel. Every year there's a loss like this. Some years there's two. This happens to be one of those years where there's two. They're kind of unexplainable. And I really hope there's not a third one somewhere. That's that's about all that I'll say. It's it's disappointing. I'm getting a lot off my chest here, Daniel, so I apologize. <laughs> it's disappointing, but in all honesty, after the Northwestern debacle, in my opinion, not much can be more disappointing than that. That, to me, was a telltale sign there's work to be done with this current group of players. And I get it. They could easily be 5-1 and one in the Big Ten, but you can make the case they should have lost to Nebraska. Okay, so I, I don't love playing that game. But in my opinion, I can't get too worked up, Daniel, because I thought they were going to win six or seven games. There's three games left. They still have a chance to win six or seven. I know we'll look back and say, okay, you left some meat on the bone. But again, I would be an outright hypocrite and lunatic if I was super upset if at the end of the year they finished with six or seven wins when that's about where I thought they would be. And you can argue, well, the Big Ten West isn't very good. You're right, but guess what? Candidly, the Gophers aren't very good right now. So it is what it is. Yeah, I, I'd i say, you know, you go back and you look at these games and you can pull out a handful of plays. I always say three or four key plays over the course of a game end up defining the outcome. And looking back, people people need to go back and look at the last drive, the last defensive drive, when they force the fumble and that ball is like a half an inch away from being recovered by Jail Logan Redding. You're not even having this conversation if you get on the football there. So that play you know, the pop pass on third and four with Calorup at the uh, behind the sticks. Hey, you know, right. Able to get the first down. If you're able to execute, you got the pull on, on second and seven or second and eight there. Uh, you know, if you're able to punch that thing in tight and not bounce it out first down game over, you got the previous drive where you had an opportunity to milk some clock and put the game away. You didn't do it there. Like, it's it's like all the puzzle puzzle pieces have to come together for this team where they haven't played a complete mistake free game in all three phases. I mean, you look at the start of the game, uh, you fumble the opening kickoff, you put the defense on its heels, and you give up a touchdown right away. Second week the in defense a, a terrible spot. Second week in a row, you do a form of that immediately. That that has to stop. That can't happen. You do that again that'll allow a team like Purdue to feel really good about themselves right away. And we'll get to Purdue in a bit. And that's what I'm saying. Like, it's not just an isolated incident where, you know, everybody wants to compare what happened at the end of the Northwestern game and the Illinois game, the two totally separate problems there where that game was underneath zone coverage. This game got the underneath zone coverage, right? 
Now you get your safeties making a mistake in the back end, not getting depth correctly. You know, probably should add some help on the other side when Newman's got to get some better depth. Linebackers carrying that deep. I mean, that's a tough ask there. I mean, he did probably the best he could. He's anticipating his safeties are going to be in the right spot. Uh, I just, I don't know. I look back, I get a lot of people saying, hey, why don't you blitz there with the backup quarterback coming in, put him on his heels. I'm going, well, then, you know, you get beat deep in man coverage or you get a pass interference penalty. Like, you're banking on the fact that your players are going to execute the call in the given situation. I mean, yeah, you probably want to do some things differently in terms of the zone back there. Maybe have, you know, maybe not be in cover two, maybe be in a different type of invert. Like, I always say invert coverage is something that I like in that situation where you got a player like a safety in the middle. And then you got, you know, it's almost like playing thirds in the back end. A Tampa two invert is something that's kind of taken over the NFL. You see it a lot with Brian Flores. But I just think I, I don't even I'm, I'm like if you execute the call, you execute the concept. Uh, there's no way that Isaiah Williams is making that play in that situation. So it comes down to execution in my eyes. Two takeaways um, from the game, at least one specific to the game. The other one I think is specific to maybe the larger problem or the larger issue when it comes to uh, coaching and game day management. On the blitzing, I don't know if on 4th and 11 you need to blitz. I think to your point, Daniel, you you just got to play coverage. You know they got to get 11 yards downfield, so you're basically covering 10 yards downfield and everything else. So I, somebody somebody slips on that play, you know, that you, you can't really control that, you know. Yeah, and, and I get that. I'm not the the what what happened the final 85 yards. This is really tough to say, but I can kind of get over that. There's just other stuff in the game that I didn't enjoy. One of them being Daniel on the blitz. I thought they could have blitzed a lot more often than they did, and it's really. This was maybe the first game all year where they just really weren't getting a ton of pressure. Even I, I know Iowa is different. They have a battered offensive line. But if you're not getting pressure with three or four, you're going to get picked apart by even pretty good to average college quarterbacks. So I, I thought they could have blitzed a little bit more. On, on the execution stuff late in the game, I get it. It's important. You absolutely need to execute. That's where games are won and lost. However... When you're constantly operating on this razor-thin margin because every game you play is essentially a one-score game because of stylistically of how the head coach likes to play, you open yourself to get burned like this late, and it's now happened multiple times. And the one thing I look back to late in the first half, you're moving the ball down the field. You're doing a pretty good job moving the ball down the field. Then you so obviously play for a field goal. You know, in the end, I think you'd maybe like to have a touchdown there. Maybe the game's over. And what I don't like about that is if you're trying to score a touchdown and a team forces you to kick a field goal and you get it, no big deal. The momentum doesn't really change, in my opinion, that much. But when you're you're playing for the three and not even actively trying for the seven, that's a problem. And to me, that's maybe coaching on percentages too much and – to a degree, maybe coaching a little bit scared because, oh, we're afraid to turn the ball over here. Oh, big deal. I mean, you turn the ball over there, I get it, you're out three, but Illinois is not going to go the length of the field and score before halftime. I I just, 
We've said it now for a handful of years, and I, I know it's probably never going to change, but man, at times I'd like to see the coach be a little bit more aggressive. And I have no problem. I told my buddies on the third down play at the end, I would pass it here. If it's incomplete, you're not losing much. You're really not. There's a surprise element of passing. If you don't pass it, so be it. I think Illinois saves one timeout, and you're going to have to punt punt the ball back anyways. I have no problem with that. I applaud that. That's that's being aggressive and trying to win the game. There are other times during the game, though, where I just don't get it. And, again, I'm not the coach. I'm not on the field. I don't know what he knows. He's forgotten more than I'll ever know. But that stuff, to me, gets frustrating. And you shouldn't always coach the game based on the fans. But does he not get tired of getting booed every week when he goes into these ultimate conservative modes that he goes to seemingly every home game? You're on the doorstep of a huge momentum touchdown at the end of the first half, and you play for three. With still time on the clock, by the way. Illinois could have got the ball back if they wanted to, maybe came down and negated your three points. So I just, I disagree with all of that. And if you're not coaching these games to stay within one score all the time, you might actually find yourself winning a few more games and not blowing some of these games inexplicably. Yeah, I, I think that the biggest issue is being able to finish these football games. Like in the second half, you go back, I went through all the drives and they didn't have any drive in the second half that spanned more than five plays. And the same thing happened in the Northwestern game. And that not only has a ripple effect on being able to finish the game, get points, you know, sustain drives, bleed the clock. It also has an impact on your defense because your defense is on the field almost instantaneously. And that leads to fatigue. That leads to lack of adjustment time, like that stuff. And that's where the complementary aspect of football comes together there, where you got to be able to sustain drives in the second half. When Minnesota is able to sustain at least one drive in the second half, they're in a really good spot. Like, look at what the defense, the defense gets three takeaways, man. The defense. I know. I know. John Joyner strip sack. Uh, the huge strip by which Cody again, Lindenberg. which again, you only turn the strip sack into three. They turn their yeah. similar position on a turnover into seven. You, you got to that, catch that, that could ball be the difference and, there too. You got to catch that ball in the end zone, that corner out. You got to catch that ball. You know that it, it's on your hands. You got to catch it like that. And then Tyler Newman gets the interception. I mean, three takeaways, inches away from a fourth takeaway on third down. Illinois barely did anything on the ground the whole game. Altmaier had 11 rushing yards. He had two scrambles. That was the whole worry coming into the game was like Altmaier's legs. Didn't do anything in that capacity, really. You give up that big play. You take a bad angle on the swing pass. You get beat deep. Like It all comes down to explosive plays and tackling. They missed 16 tackles in that game, which is too many. Got to clean that up. But like they were able to generate enough pressure. Like you look at the pressure numbers, they were able to do enough there to, to, you know, affect the quarterback and nearly have the huge, another huge fourth takeaway at the end of the game. Like it just is unbelievable to me because the whole conversation about the defensive play would have been completely different if two plays don't happen and they can't happen, but it, it just, I watched I watched the second half film and I detail and, and look at it. I'm like, man, they played really well in the second half up until that last drive. 
pretty much it, outside of that and the swing pass. Let's let's just leave it there. We could talk about the Illinois game forever, but we do have to preview. <laughs> we do have to preview Purdue, and I don't believe it's likely. I don't believe it'll happen. But there, I mean, honestly, I just don't think there's any way that it'll happen. But the Gophers are not eliminated from winning the Big Ten West. There's there's still a puncher's chance, and it starts it starts with a game that I'm deathly afraid of. It's a place the Gophers have had some success at. At Ross Aid Stadium, I believe that's what they're still calling it. Yeah, it is, confirming that through ESPN. But it's also a place the Gophers have had some clunkers at. Uh, your ESPN matchup predictor, Daniel House, I know we pay a ton of attention to this, only giving the Gophers about a 52% chance at victory. I would agree with that. I think this is a, I think this is a toss-up game, and I, I don't love that because Purdue comes into the game at 2-7, and seven, just 1-5 and five in the conference. But it is a game I feel like the Gophers should win and to meet my base level expectation of every year for Gopher football, if you win on Saturday, you will go play in a bowl game. If that's your final win of the year, you're more than likely looking at Detroit. But, you know, whatever, you get what you get and you go play in the game. So as bad as the Illinois loss was, and they're weighing on me, this season is weighing on me for multiple reasons. There's still some work to be done and you can't mail it in and you can't do the woe is us. You you, got to get back on the horse, so to speak, go play at Purdue, win a football game and, and see what happens from there. You still have a chance to beat Purdue, get to six wins. You can beat Wisconsin, retain the ax, get to seven. Maybe you show up and you, and you show out as the kids like to say a term that I absolutely despise when you take on Ohio state, maybe you surprise some people. I'm not saying you'll win, but maybe you play good you know, there's still there's still three games left, a lot that can be done and change the narrative for how this season is so far sitting at just five and four. So how do the Gophers avoid you think the masses are bad this week, Daniel, or have been bad? They they might be out with pitchforks in Dinky Town for the first time in the PJ Fleck regime if they don't beat Purdue. Like you think it's bad now. If they lose to a two and seven Purdue team, it's going to be really bad. Well, we'll see what happens. This matchup is uh, intriguing in a couple ways. Uh, I think the edge rushers Purdue are really good. Caden uh, Jenkins right now, fifth best pass rush productivity rating in college football, twelfth in pressures among edge rushers. So keep an eye on four. Nick Scorton, number five. He's also a really good player. Uh, I think that the front uh, Minnesota's offensive line is going to have to play well against Purdue's front, get the ball out quicker this week. I think, you know, you're not going to be able to have as long of developing long developing routes in the game plan. You're going to have to quick game on first and second down uh, use the same type of strategy with bunches and stacks and motions to try to get cleaner releases. You're going to see a similar type of defensive scheme with the cover one man coverage. Then they bail out into cover two and change the picture, especially when they get you in passing down situations. Purdue's secondary has been suspect. Marcavius Brown is the player that teams have been going at with Marquise Wilson lost to a season-ending injury. Uh, They converted one of their wide receivers over to corner. He's been playing pretty well over there. Uh, That transition has gone great. But other side of the ball, Ross, offensive line has been just decimated by season-ending injuries. Uh, I think the right side of Purdue's offensive line is exploitable, maybe with some stunts, 
Uh, and I look at Hudson card, uh, fascinating eight of 46 on balls of 20 plus yards downfield really struggles throwing to his left. So keep an eye on that throughout the game and the tackling has to be on point because Purdue's ball carriers are very good at breaking tackles. Second most broken tackles on rushing plays in the big 10 conference this year. So Maccabee, Tyrone Tracy, both are very elusive runners. So you got to be able to tackle all within those outside zone and gap schemes. I think this is also a game too. And I, and I don't think programs do this, but Purdue hasn't scored more than 14 points in a game in over a month. But then you look at who they played. Well, that's a little explainable. They were at Iowa. They hosted Ohio State. They played Nebraska, who's got things figured out defensively. And they were at Michigan. So to me, yeah, that's not great. But I think we'd all be kidding ourselves if we said the Minnesota defense at this point was playing consistently at the same level as maybe some of those defenses. But it does feel like a game, Daniel, if you can get to the, well, even the 26 points you had last Saturday, if you can get to 24, 28 points, it feels like a game you should win. Yeah, I, I, I feel that way as well. Uh, it's just all about execution. Like every week we come on here and talk about execution. I mean, it, it's like make the plays when they are available over the course of the whole game. I felt like the first half of the game was quite sound outside of the fumble on the opening kickoff. You know, the the defense had a little detail lapse in the red zone twice. But, you know, it's it's the offense was able to make a lot of formational motion decisions that got guys open and created plays. But then you get to the second half and it was a total different story. So against Purdue on the road, you have to be able to play mistake free football. You can't give away the football. You, you have to be able to win the turnover battle. You got to tackle well. You got to limit explosives. And with this air raid style attack that Graham Harrell runs is spreading you out, uh, coverage communication has to be on point at every aspect of this game. Does Sean Tyler have the, the football version of the yips? I think so. The, the, fumble, think so. the fumbles are incredible. The fumble on the kick return to start the game. That uh, when that happened, Daniel, that was that was not even a vicious hit. He was going, he was going to the ground, just lost the ball, and then yeah, and then just his fumbles carrying the ball this year. It he he hasn't been much of a fumbler heading into this year, and I don't think you can explain it all away by saying, well, it's the level of competition. I I just it's astounding to me. He seemingly can't hold on to anything, and I. I do. I legitimately actually feel bad for him. And they're trying to give him ways to help his team and make a difference. And in all honesty, Daniel, they need him to because theme of almost every season as the year goes on, they're a little thin at running back and they just can't trust him. So I I do feel bad for the kid. Uh, How we've talked about this before, but how can you coach that out of somebody? I don't know if you can. You try a gazillion different things. I'm telling you what, it's not for lack of effort. Uh, Minnesota does a lot of stuff to get their ball carriers to to hold on to the football, the balls program, period. Like the stuff that they do to to emphasize ball security is, I mean, it, it it's a huge component of practice. So, you know, it's one of those things they're just working through it, uh, trying to figure out what the problem is and 
preventing it moving forward because that was a huge deal. I'm telling you, the minute that fumble happened, I'm like, man, slow starts cannot happen, especially in a game like that. I feel the same way about Purdue. You cannot start slow. you got to get off to a quick start and execute in the first 15 minutes to put yourself in a good position and gain confidence going into the final three quarters. So speaking of game management, we'll finish with this, and then we'll uh, take a look around uh, the Big Ten and some other stuff that's happening over the weekend. Heads or tails? you want the ball to start the game or do you want to defer? I 98% of the time, Daniel House, I want the ball out of halftime. So if you lose if you lose the coin toss and the other team chooses to kick to you, there's not a lot that you can do about it. If you lose the coin toss and they choose to receive, I say thank you very much. We'll kick the ball to you. When I win the coin toss, I want to defer every time. Do you think, would you manage a lot of that based on game or do you have on game day or do you have a philosophy of what you want to do when you win or lose a coin toss, because I want it. I love this. I want it every time out of the half. I look at it right away and say, man, if I got to kick the ball, if I'm kicking the, like kick the ball to Illinois, I don't want them to score because in my head, I'm immediately playing. Okay. Well then when we get the ball, we need to at least get three or seven out of half. That's how I start to look at it, but I don't want anything to do with starting the football with the game, especially if you're a team like Minnesota, they wouldn't say it, but they kind of want to be a defensive program. I want to kick the ball off to start every game and play some defense. I would say my philosophy on this, I'm glad you asked, is basically driven by the opponent that you're playing. So, like, if you're playing an opponent that's very efficient offensively and they're explosive, I would support taking the football first and trying to go on a nice scripted drive that allows you to get points immediately and then, you know, get off to a quick start, establish and, and kind of, you know, change the flow of the game. Even like factors such as whether you're home or on the road, your personnel that you have available, like every week you got to look at it a little bit differently. Now, I do agree with your philosophy. I would say my view on this is like you want to you want to put yourself in a spot where you do have the football at the start of the second half a lot of the time because the middle eight is so important so let's say you got the possession at the end of the first half and you're able to score points and then you get the ball at the start of the second half to potentially score more points in that middle portion of the game that is huge because I feel like the game can really change in a hurry if you're able to convert in both those situations. So I call it the middle eight, the final four of the first half, the beginning four of the second half. And that's why I think P.J. Fleck was trying to get points at the end of the Illinois half there because he was saying, hey, I want points there. I want to you know, double up. Um, but, you know, it's it's philosophical. It's based on the each game. Uh, I would say – you know, I, I'm looking at it based on the opponent I'm playing, which is how it should be done. Right now, I'm looking at a nice tall cup of Beans Coffee, Daniel House. Thanks to Beans Coffee Company for supporting Minnesota Sports Chat each and every week. It is the holiday season. Tis the season. Make sure when you're doing your holiday shopping, keep Beans Coffee Company in mind. Great for stocking stuffers. Great for that 
coffee fanatic in your life. You hear me talk about it every week. Great small batch coffee. Of course, they have light roast, medium roast, dark roast, cold blue, cold blue, cold brew, caffeine-free, whatever you're looking for, decaf, they call it in the business. We know your morning cup of coffee is important, so why not drink the best coffee around? Support a great Minnesota company and support Minnesota Sports Chat at the same time. Beans Coffee Company ships anywhere in the U.S. with free shipping on all orders of $35 or more. Visit coffeebybeans.com. Use the promo code SPORTSCHAT. Again, that's coffeebybeans.com. Promo code SPORTSCHAT. Quick look around the Big Ten. I think the game of the day, Daniel House is, I believe, big noon Saturday. Michigan at Penn State. Penn State still with a puncher's chance to represent the East. They would need a lot of help. Regardless, they can still have a really nice season if they're able to knock off Jim Harbaugh and Michigan on Saturday. Indiana's at Illinois. Big win for Indiana last weekend. Maryland at Nebraska. Rutgers at Iowa. I think Rutgers can can win that football game. Minnesota at Purdue, obviously. Northwestern and Bucky. And Michigan State and Ohio State. I think really the game of the day, Daniel, is the one I let off with Michigan and Penn State. Yeah, I'm fascinated to see what happens in that game, not only just because of the matchup, but what's going to happen with Jim Harbaugh later in the week here. Is the Big Ten going to suspend him? And if that happens, is Michigan going to take some sort of legal action to be able to delay the suspension? I would say yes. So we'll be keeping an eye on that one. I want to see... What does Manny Diaz do defensively in that game? How does he scheme it up? I really like Penn State's pass rush, but the key is going to be stopping the run on first and second down, uh, handling all that pulling action, being able to ID that, stop the run, get Michigan into obvious passing situations, and then you can get very creative with your personnel, sending, uh, doing things with your front, sending different pressures, uh, getting – Michigan in a spot where they're not in control. They're not ahead of the sticks. They're not in flow because all year Michigan's offense has been just constantly efficient. Can you put them in a spot where they're on their heels in a tough environment? Uh, that's what I want to see during that game. In the 2:30 slate across the country, you have Utah taking on Washington 6 p.m., a game that stylistically I think could be fun. You have Ole Miss at Georgia, Lane Kiffin v. Kirby Smart. Anything else you're looking forward to watching on Saturday? Also, Tennessee travels to Missouri in the 2.30 window. That could be a ton of fun as well. You you talked about last week, Daniel. The SEC is almost always must-watch college football. Yeah, I'm very excited to watch Ole Miss and Georgia. Uh, I think that's going to be a very good matchup. Um, You know, Lane Kiffin has got that team playing very efficient offensively. I love their offense. Uh, I want to see how Georgia's defense responds to some of the looks that I know Lane will be Lane will be cooking up. I know I I just enjoy watching his teams play. Uh, I think he's very innovative, uh, sharp, uh, has done a nice job of keeping up with the trends of where the game is going. So always fun watching uh, a really good offense that's innovative versus a. Kirby Smart defense. Uh, I can't wait for that. I will remind people, I've said this for a few years now on this pod, Daniel, and I know you'll probably laugh at it. Uh, PJ Fleck, for uh, likely still many years, is the current head coach at the University of Minnesota. 
Lane Kiffin is the next head coach at the University of Minnesota. <laughs> and I can't wait. Daniel, what is that? Gophersguru.com for people to check out. Uh, you can check out a breakdown of the offense, uh, first half versus second half. What was different? The presence of Johnny Newton was very, very, very key for Illinois. Uh, also, you're going to see a preview piece for the Purdue game that includes some insight on the defense. Some of the things I talked about today, plus the preview of what to watch for all the keys uh, for Saturday's game. And on the X machine at Daniel House MN. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Uh, we'll talk next week. Hopefully review a Gophers win and preview how the Gophers can shock the world and beat Ohio State. We'll be ready. Let's go. <laughs> That's Daniel House. Gophersguru.com. Daniel House MN on the X machine. I am at the Ross Brendel on the X machine. And don't forget, you can now find Minnesota Sports Chat on the YouTube machine. Thank you so much to Daniel. Thank you so much to Corbu Status for joining earlier this week in this feed to talk about St. Thomas Athletics. I'm back again sometime next week, Tuesday or Wednesday. Look for a new edition of Minnesota Sports Chat. We'll talk again real soon. Sincerely, thank you so much for listening and sharing with your family and friends.